Welcome to the Neojai Chuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week, we continue our discussion on the founder of Baguazhang, Deng Hai Chuan. Uh, we look more at Deng's life in the palace, how he got there, how he went from being a servant to being the head trainer for the palace guard. Uh, then we look a little more at the 36 songs and the 48 methods from Andrea Falk's book and Frank Allen's book, uh, taking apart a couple of those, uh, giving some insight into what those mean. And then on our Patreon this week, we continue our discussion of the Taoist eight bodies, the eight energy bodies in Taoism. We talk about the Qi body, which is the energy that runs your physical body. Uh, and it's an ongoing series, so check out the Patreon. There's also our series on the spiraling energy body. Uh, interviews, a bunch of other stuff. So check that out. Hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Nate Joshua Podcast with Isaac and Jess. So Isaac, today we're back to our topic we've been working on about Master Dong Hai Chuan, the founder of Bagua, the originator of the martial art that we've been talking about so much lately. And, uh, there are quite a few different stories about him. Here's one from Wang Shujin's book, translated by Kent Howard in 2009. Having no place to stay in Beijing and very little money, Master Dong spent his days wandering, wandering about the Heaven's Bridge Amusement District. In the evenings, he slept in the open near Heaven's Altar, where the Emperor performed his annual rites on Lunar New Year. One day, the martial arts teacher of a Manchu prince came to Heaven's Altar and happened to notice Master Dong. Despite his somewhat disheveled appearance, he observed that the young man had a rugged countenance and flashing eyes. After engaging him in conversation, the martial artist declared that he would politely like a match of skills. The two decided to use a straw mat as their ring. Whoever stepped off the mat would be the loser. After Dong won three successive matches, the other guy respectfully admitted defeat. However, he was so impressed with Master Dong that he subsequently found him a position as a servant in the palace in hopes of him someday instructing the prince. So that's how Dong Chuan was discovered, apparently. A quickie challenge match in the park, and he got he beat him three, two times straight. Little Rochambeau. <laughs> well, it sounds like some sort of pushing or shoving type of contest rather than like a ring right, fight. Right, like a throw you off the mat or whatever. Just clasp hands, maybe, whoever throws the other guy off. Mm. So he got hired to go work in the palace just like that? I guess maybe they were in the market for somebody. The prince has had no knowledge of Master Dong's skills. In fact, he himself was quite proficient in martial arts, practicing daily with great fervor, and had a very high opinion of his own skill. One day when the prince was working out, Master Dong made a small comment about his technique. When the prince heard this, he was quite surprised, and ordered Master Dong to demonstrate his own skill before the court. Master Dong's performance so amazed the prince that he realized at once that he was in the company of a true master. Without hesitation, the prince asked Dong to take him as a student. From that time forward, Master Dong's fame spread throughout the capital. Right, and this is where the legend really picks up mm. right now, because you now you have the like established, you know, here he is in this period of time with a official position and you know all that stuff. So it's like you know, the 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 uh, prequel is over, and now <laughs> right. you're into the you know <laughs> the main story. Right, so now he's inside the palace. So the book goes on. Here's a good paragraph. Alas, as it is said, a tall tree catches too much wind and fame attracts envy. 
Master Dong Soon became a magnet for every boxer within a thousand miles who wanted to test his skills against the prince's new teacher. But they all went away with their feathers plucked. Many of this braggadocios exited the palace with stolen treasures and equities, leaving behind messages daring Master Dong to come and get them. So Dong Ai Chuan traveled far and wide to retrieve the items in martial contests. Hmm. Still, the challenges and thievery continued over the course of many years, and Master Dong found little rest. Finally, Dong himself was implicated in some sort of criminal activity, and in punishment, was castrated. From that time forward, the other servants in the palace referred to him as Old Eunuch instead of by his name. Hmm. So there's the Whoa. origins of the eunuch story. <laughs> so he's such a great fighter that everyone's challenging him all the time. And then he got busted for some sort of criminal activity. Probably sleeping with somebody would be my guess. Could be, or maybe embezzlement or something. Because mm. of all those treasures running around. I mean, I'm sure there was a list of things that were punishable by, right. you know, eunuchery. Right. I don't want to look too closely into that. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's also, there. there's, oh, okay. We won't get into it now, but there's that other story about him posing as a spy or whatever, being mm. a spy and posing as a eunuch. So right, so maybe he was claiming to be a eunuch. That, well, this that, one said he gets punished, but maybe that no, I'm saying maybe that was the crime was mm. that he got caught as from you know being a spy oh. or something or you know was, was suspected of right you know some sort of treachery. Right, I get the feeling that becoming a eunuch was the alternative to a death sentence. Maybe sounds like either it. your head chopped off or. Your dick. <laughs> Your other head. <laughs> so bad. So I guess some schools don't believe Master Dong was a eunuch. Some do. This one says that he was a great martial artist. Then he became a eunuch. Hmm. Which is well, interesting. He wasn't a eunuch from the start. It was later in his life as a punishment. I think there was something There's something about that because if you're castrated young, yeah. you're, you don't fully develop. Right. And so that, you know, I think, you know, Given his sort of fully developed, you know, body that yeah. he was, they assumed it was later right. in life. And reputation as a fighter, if you, right. you know, if you, you've got to be strong, right? So that's interesting. <clears throat> so anyways, there's a few, a little bit more here to finish the story. As Master Dong grew older, he began to feel the art taught to him by his venerable teachers should be passed on to the next generation. He became acquainted with an eyeglass seller who often came to the palace to repair spectacles. His name was Cheng Tinghua. Master Dong was so impressed with Cheng's sincerity that he allowed him to become his first pupil from outside the palace gates. Right, well, this is where, you know, again, the, the main sort of bulk of his teaching happened after mm. the you know, job in the palace. So, you know, Yin Fu, a couple of those early students, you know, were in the palace and then also after, but, you know, the, mm. I think the Cheng was probably the first that had nothing to do with right. You know, being in a... So that illustrates there's there's the first half of his life where he's teaching in the imperial court at the prince's palace, and then the second half, which is actually only a ten year period after he leaves right. the palace, he teaches seventy two disciples at that point. Right, so it happened real quick, and that's why people say Chang Tinghua did a lot of the teaching, Yin Fu right. did a lot of the teaching, those guys maybe. Makes sense. <clears throat> when Master Dong passed away at age ninety, his students erected a mausoleum in his memory outside the west gate of the capital. Each year, succeeding generations of his students still gather there to perform memorial rites in his honor. Although this grand master of a generation is gone, along with other great masters who followed in his steps, his art endures. However, the great social changes of our times have placed his great art in jeopardy of someday fading away from neglect. How sad. And that ends the introduction to Bagua by Wang Shujin.
Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing about him living to be 90, because that's, right? that's much older than most other right. people say he lived. So Close, In his 60s, some say. Uh, that, that, you know. Maybe that's just to prop him up and make him sound a little better. Yeah, I mean, it also makes it so that he was much older when he was teaching, you know, those later people versus, you know, at the palace or whatever, because mm-hmm. he was, you know, I don't know what the timeline was, but, you know, there there may have been several years in between or whatever. Right. It's interesting because different stories focus on his life in the palace and others focus on his life outside the palace. Well, and it's not, yeah, I mean, he was also, right, they were saying he was kind of secretive about stuff, so maybe by not giving away his age, that kind of, you know, lended itself to that sort of air of mysticism that he was. So looking a little bit deeper into the story of Dong Ai Chuan, there's a, there's a number of different myths that seem to run through his story of him, the story of him as a eunuch, there's a story of him as an unbeatable fighter, but there's also the story of him as a waiter, which is apparently one of his, uh, you know, a lot of different traditions talk about his skill as a waiter. So I wanted to pull from Lee Ying Arn's book, which is, uh, let's see, Bagua Zhang for Self-Defense by Li Ying Arn, 1972. One of the early Bagua books. It says, The great master of Bagua, Deng Ai Chuan, lived from 1796 to 1880. No one could relate the exact history of this mysterious man. He only came into prominence when he was a eunuch in the palace of the Qing Emperor. Prior to that, he was relatively unknown. On one occasion, the emperor entertained his guests at a feast. The palatial grounds were crowded with people at that time, and an entrance and exit was a Herculean task. Dong Ai Chuan, however, could maneuver himself in and out of the palace grounds with comparative ease. The emperor was much surprised by Dong's ability and questioned him. It was then that Dong first revealed himself to be a master of Baguazhang. He was then obliged to give a full display of his skill. His performance was so unique and so impressed the emperor that he was at once made the pugilistic teacher of the palace guards. After this, Dong's fame spread far and wide, Dong only had a few students, as few could reach him in the closely guarded palace. It was only after his retirement when he lived outside the palace that he gained more followers. Among them were many great pugilists of great repute. So that's a little bit about that. This one says he got discovered as a uh, waiter. As a waiter, that's pretty... <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it's possible. I mean, who knows? Like, that's... I mean, enough seems, different stories include that, that it must be have something to do with it. I mean, truth. it seems like quite a leap to go from, you know, you can carry <laughs> plates to now you can train my troops. But, <laughs> right, you know, it's, uh, all right. But, I mean, I mean it, it does... You have go, to admit, Bagua, that circle walking and spinning, I mean... Right, and there's a lot of things about, like, the you know, holding a plate in your hand and, you know, mm-hmm. doing the stuff like the teacups and all that. So it's like, you know, there might be some I mean, nugget of truth there. It, I did some waiting in my time, and, you know, especially as a busboy, you carry big old trays. I, anyways. I mean, yeah, you know, I can see <coughs> it the... It does keep coming up. I can see the um, parallels, but just also, like I said, just a, that's a quite a stretch. Like, Well, I mean... I was just thinking, like, a lot of martial arts styles come from farmers, right? Like, different weapons from the countryside. Uh-huh. and uh-huh. But this martial art does come from an urban city environment. The imperial city, the palace, like, Bagua is designed for kind of an urban environment. It's not a, a martial art done out in the fields after work, right? Like, yeah. it's definitely an urban 
it's a pretty specific combat style. I mean, like it's it's not a general style. It's made for a specific time right. and place. And if of. you're a, if you're a servant or whatever, that does give you access, right? That explains how you can get that close to someone who would be in a position of power, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's a servant on some level for sure, right? All right, so here's one. Many anecdotes were given of Dong's ability. One day, Dong was meditating in a sitting posture beside a wall. In the same room were his students. Suddenly, the wall collapsed, and the students were sitting at a distance were so frozen with fright that they could only gape and stare at the sight of the accident. To their amazement, Dong was unharmed. For on looking around, they found him sitting quietly in a chair in another corner of the room. Hmm. Yeah, well, there you go. Not exactly like a heroic fight story, but... No, but that, I mean, you know, that's another one of these things of like, it's more than he was a good fighter. It was this miraculous abilities, you know, kind of thing that the untouchable. Was, yeah. Just kind of. Another incident occurred on a cold winter day. Dong was asleep on a couch. I mean, he's so he's passed out on the couch. Like, yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of martial arts stories begin like that. Lazy ass, just <laughs> sitting around, meditating, sleeping. Right, he's either meditating or passed out. A student wanted to cover him with a blanket, but no sooner had he placed the blanket on the teacher when the latter suddenly disappeared. Looking around, the student was amazed to see the teacher sitting in another corner of the room. So he got up and moved before the blanket could fall on him. Right. Yeah, so there's something about his incredible speed there, I mean... Well, all of that points to being very evasive, right? Which is mm. a huge thing in Magua. Mm. So yeah. again, it's just kind of um, you know, telling stories of you know the the master's abilities. I mean, I, I I can think of one sort of modern one is somebody wrote a story about uh, Mayue Liang like avoiding a puddle, mm. right? Like stepping over a puddle and like not getting you know, and yeah, that was like his. Which is okay, like that that does take some balance and some skill, right. but it's not like something you're gonna make. Right. It's a not movie. winning the UFC. You're gonna make a movie about you know the master who steps steps over a puddle, right? There is a a little bit of elegance in internal martial arts. They don't try to be like brutes, you know. There's a little bit of I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's like not having a ton of bricks fall on you is a good thing, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's real life self defense. All right, so at the end of this, it says here, it was learned from a reliable source that Dong, in reality, was formerly a notorious bandit and was wanted by the law. He then became a monk to go into hiding, but was later expelled from the monastery for intemperance. As a last resort, he ended up as a eunuch in the emperor's palace. So he's getting wasted? or I mean, so he's passed out. He's meditating. He's getting drunk in the monastery. My kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to paint kind of a picture of a pretty cool dude. Last time we looked a little bit at the uh, f- the uh, 36 and 48 traditional verses of Baguajang that are said to come from Dong Ai Chuan, and I wanted to keep looking at some of these verses. Um, but first, uh, there was a paragraph in Andrea Falk's book, A Shadow on Fallen Blossoms, from 2017. And this is a pretty cool paragraph that speaks to how these materials were used during the, uh, the, the time Bagua is developing in the 20th century. Um, she says that the norm was the passing of knowledge among friends. In the, is it the norm in the world of Baguazhang? Two things strike one when looking at the history of Bagua in Beijing. One, everyone learned from everyone. You learn not only from your Sifu, but from your martial brothers, uncles, cousins, and friends. There is no pure one-to-one lineage, no family style. Secondly, 
things were not written down. And uh, so that's kind of the main idea being there's not a lot of written material from that time, but it was common for everyone to like talk among each other and meet yeah. up. And that's been the theme, right? right. That we've been talking about I mean, so that, much. That's exactly, you know, tracks with Leo, Leo and Jay's experience of, you know, meeting people from both sides, you know, the Yin Fu, the Chen Ting Hua, and some other people. And, you know, just that it was a sort of like an open source community, right? Like you could, you could, anybody could teach anybody and, it was just Dung Hai Chuan, right. blah, blah. And so, you know, I think that this, these quotes or whatever are kind of from that era of, you know, when it was just one school, you know, mm-hmm. and that every, like she said, everybody was talking to everybody. So, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it makes sense because you, there's different versions of these, these things. And, right. You know, Songs and, and poems. And, yeah. and a lot, it also makes sense in terms of why a lot of the, training is very similar in Bagua, in the different Bhagwajang schools. It's like you're still doing a lot of the same kind of, you know, walking circles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of the various books we've looked at, a lot of them share advice from, you know, lifting the top of the head and sitting in the waist. Like, a lot of those must be from Master Dong, because right. everybody says Well, and, and the first, so the, the first 36 or whatever are primarily the, like the, you know, those are the more how-to part, and it seems like the later, mm-hmm. the other ones are the you know martial stuff so clearly there was kind of a um instructional i mean maybe not the right word but like a, a guide book you know that maybe that he was creating where it was like all right you already know this stuff but here's a here's a reference book so that you could um you know to have something to go back to when you weren't training it, you know, or you didn't have access to a teacher. Exactly. So, uh, in, in Frank and Tina's book, the whirling circles of Bhagwajang, they talk about the Bhagwajang classics, the 36 songs and the 48 methods. So we've been talking about the methods a little bit, which are, there's 48 of them and they're little sort of pithy, uh, rhymed paragraphs that explain ideas and help you memorize stuff. The secret rhyme formulas for Bhagwa's fighting methods. Um, so the second one is good called observation method. Observe the opponents first. Stay back instead of advancing. Step back to know the situation. Small force can deflect much greater power. Pretty classic stuff. That's like... So when you observe the opponent first, then you stay back. So this one sort of seems like you should be observing the situation before you rush in. That seems like pretty I mean, that's pretty advice. good, pretty practical advice, right? Like, don't just be a dumbass and rush in, you know, like, see what's actually happening in front of you mm. before you do something, right? I mean, that's mm. that's fairly, like, practical. And I think it speaks to that internal martial arts principle of don't think ahead to what could happen, rather observe exactly what's happening in the moment. Like, for sure, yeah. worrying about what this person could do is going to get in the way of reacting to when they actually throw the punch. So feints and stuff can have less of an effect if you're more aware, basically. Right, and and also if you're stepping back, quote-unquote, you, you're giving yourself distance, time, space, and, you know, like, it's just easier for you to move out of the way if you're not charging into somebody, right? Like, if you're doing especially with like multiple people, right? Mm. The last thing you want to do is kind of charge one direction because then, you know, they can all kind of converge on you. So exactly. this, this thing of having, you know, a sense of like 
like options, right? That, mm. that you, you can see what's in front of you, you give yourself some space to act, and then you can do something. And then it ends with small force can deflect much greater power, like Tai Chi. Right. Well, that that has to, I think, yeah, it's the same thing, right? That if you're, you know, if you're waiting for the other guy to attack you and you move when he's coming at you, it takes a lot less force than if you Mm. try to stop something. Right. right? Your own sheer power to to block it, deflect. And that's like the first real big thing you have to learn in Bago is that you aren't, standing still and doing something with your hands you're always going to be moving your foot along with it which is just a really different kind of feeling so you know that that sense of kind of just moving as one piece Hmm. so that as you move back it's not that you're like leaning back or if you're moving forward it's not that you're lean you know you're moving kind of like a like a spinning top right so the whole thing is moving around but it's it's never going to sit in one place and mm. do something. Yet it's still a cohesive unit, but right. it's just on the move. And that deflective sense is a big Bagua thing of not going force on force. Just ricocheting, deflecting, bounce off one thing to hit with the other, and go from high to low with the deflection yeah. kind of. Otherwise known as change, right? I mean, it's like... Just Rather constantly. than clash against their arm, you just fly off of it yeah. and swing around. All right, looking at the third one. This one is called Stepping Methods. Move the root before moving the fingertips. Fast hands are not faster than the half step. Use a half step for advancing and retreating. Control the opponent and calmly evade them. So that's the root. Uh, again, the Bagua philosophy, move with the feet first. Yeah, I mean, that's basically just repeating that what I, you know, that same concept of just, it isn't going to be that your feet are still and you do something with your hands. It's going to be that your hand and foot move together. Mm. And, and that half step gives you more speed than just shooting out your hand. Because that half step is kind of, when you're clashing with somebody and that half step allows you to push into their space and sort of shove them off their position. Yeah, and it's, I mean, half step is just, I think, also saying like, you're not, um, you know, if you're standing on your right foot, your first thing is just going to be to stick your left foot out. It's not going to be to just dump yourself over mm. into the other you know to take a full so step like a balanced and, advance yeah, rather right. than a lunge yeah so it's like the half step could also be you know because it could be the back foot coming in like a like a shingy technique mm-hmm. but it can also be the front foot going out right so i think you know it's just this idea that you're you're splitting your step into parts mm-hmm. right that it isn't just you know, they come at you and you charge forward mm-hmm. it's that there's some controlled aspect mm-hmm. to your stepping Right. Yeah. I mean, I I get the impression of somebody just taking, like, teacher keeps saying this slogan again and again. Right. Like, fast hands are not faster than half step. You know, I can see him pointing to a student and yelling that. Like, it just became one of the things. So he kept, he wrote it down, and now we have it. Well, and it also has to do with, you know, if somebody's throwing a punch at you, if you do something with your hand, you didn't get, you know, they could, if they Mm. break through your hand, you're in trouble. If you move your whole body, they're just going to miss you entirely. Mm. So, you know, it's just that, that piece about avoidance. And you've got power behind what you do when you use it. Rather than flicking your hand out to try and deflect, you use yeah. a half step to a more substantial. This, but yeah. but one, of the, one of the key principles that in all internal martial arts has to do with not letting the other person's force land on you, right? Whether you do it by 
changing the angles like Xing Yi does, or you do it by absorbing the force and dispersing it like Tai Chi does, or Bagua just does it by kind of moving and the force doesn't land. It's mm. like, again, it's the that spin, deflecting, yeah. it's that spinning top idea, right? That, you know, they might make contact with you, but the the force isn't going to land on you. It's going to spin off. And so this, this idea Hopefully. of, you know, well, yeah, if you do it correctly, I mean, right. <laughs> But that's true of anything. Right, Any technique, right. if you do it wrong, is yeah, it doesn't work. work right? mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's the the theory is that you keep that rotation going. So well, it deflects stuff. My experience up. has been that it works. That you know, you you're in, mm. if you can manage to keep your body moving, you're just in a better position than if you're, especially if you're fighting more than one person, you're in a much better position than if you. Do something, stop, do something, stop, do something, stop. Just slug stop. it out standing there. Because yeah. every time you stop, you're making yourself vulnerable to, um, you know, an attack from a different angle, sure. right? Where if you're sure. moving, it's like, you know, it's, a, it's hard to hit a moving target, right? Yep. And Bagua takes that to kind of a ridiculous level of just always moving, basically. It's just the first thing you do. Well, speaking of that, the next one is called walking method. Skills come from circle walking. Hands change when steps change. Block high, brush low, elbow strike. Push, lift, carry, and roll to follow one's bend. So again, skills come from circle walking. So like, there you go. Like, we're, feels like we were just saying that. Then hands change when steps change. So there is all of these have some obsession with the feet and the hands being connected. Well, that's Bagua's unique thing really is that most martial arts don't do that most Mm. martial arts you know again you stop even tai chi and chingy your feet stop you do something you know with your hands it's connected to your feet sure but but your feet aren't actually moving while you're doing the technique that's the thing about extreme (laughs) that's sort of weird and special is that very few things are done where you're planted right it's Mm. all done as you're moving and and that i think that's just a weird jump for people to make. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why there's so many references mm-hmm. to it initially, mm-hmm. because it's like, this is the thing you're going to be mm-hmm. struggling with the most in the beginning. Right. And again, each of them's like a slogan. Like I could just see master. Don, like, Skills come from circle walking. Just a general admission to everyone right. well, in earshot. You know, you just shout the command. And the main thing is the circle walking and all the techniques come out of that. Right. Walking. So, you know, your your palm strike comes out of your step. Your ch- your turnaround comes out of your your kobu, right? And this at the end here, he says push, lift, carry, and roll. That's this tui uh, tuo dai ling. And the, to me, that's kind of like their version of um, peng lu ji and on. Mm, right? Be. It's like giving you the push and pull. Your your, your 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 basic building blocks for all your techniques are going to be yeah. some piece of these four. Mm-hmm. You know, Tech type of forward, types of, up, down, back, kind of. Yeah, I mean, usually it's, it's some sort of directional thing, right? Because up, forward, you know, mm-hmm. most things you're going to do initially in Bob are going to, you know, sort of involve that up and out kind of feeling of like the single palm change. So, you know, it's just kind of reinforcing that idea of, you know, expand while you mm-hmm. do stuff. Don't contract right Mm. that's very bagua so okay here's the cascade step method linking step takes longer than a simple step all techniques have to be simple natural and efficient turn the body and make the attacker fall into emptiness 
Taking the opportunity is a real Jiang Hu skill. And Frank and Tina here explain that Jiang Hu just means highly skilled mm. uh, ah, expertise. Yes. So you can be a real expert. Turn the body and make the attacker fall into emptiness. That's another internal martial arts slogan. When you make contact, if you turn, they can you can cast them aside kind of easily, basically. Well, and and get going into emptiness is that's a specific thing. That's that's the feeling of like I was saying before, where you go to put pressure on something and it and it's not there. You think and, you got them, and, and so you you, you know you you fall because if you think the wall is going to be there and you go to push it as hard as you can and all of a sudden it you know it's, it it turns out to be paper thin you're right, just going to fall right you're going to fall right on your face right so this is kind of that again just sort of that thing of like um don't let their force land on you mm. yep and the taiji talks about that a lot too yeah it's interesting these are pretty across the board and the tai chi classics are pretty across the board too now that i think about it they they kind of apply to everybody in Chinese martial arts, especially internal martial well, arts. Well, if you if you remember, which you probably don't, but the last story we told in the Mog, one of the stories we told in the Mogwe episode was about him fighting some Tai Chi guy mm. and how that was one of the few instances where this actually happened because for the most part, Tai Chi guys and Bagua guys got along because they realized mm. they're basically doing the same shit. Pretty simple, you know, that, similar. That, that they all kind of consider it to be one family, hence the Neja Chuan, right? Well, speaking of the connection between Tai Chi and Bagua, prohibiting double-weighted step method. So it's like, damn, I mean, that's straight out of Tai Chi. Well, that's also where I... I <clears throat> I suspect the guy who wrote this uh -huh. stuff down was he might have read some Tai Chi books right and he was trying to use language mm. that was familiar to people who did internal sure. martial arts because it just these were the terms people were using yeah, yeah. so it, you know it, it gives it your own little spin but I can it, imagine among everyone discussing what double weightedness back then and then today the same debate continues well double weightedness is one of those concepts that has probably you know ten different meanings so right everyone's you know, got their own idea for you, can, you can be have completely different idea about what it means and than someone else and you're both right because it's you know it's just a term but you know terms right. get attached to lots of different right techniques. everyone's context well here this one's specific to bagua it's interesting never stop walking with the feet together the back foot takes most of the body weight standing on both feet in one line is double weighted Mm -hmm. so to him you're standing with your feet one in front of the other on a line that's different than the tai chi side to side double weightedness this one's on right. a straight line double weightedness. but that's tai chi cool. has that too tai chi has that <coughs> right that's you another that one either. Of, again, yeah, that's another, another, another one of those things so yeah but this again, one is specific to bagua which is pretty it's, cool it's a different well, yeah different. so that's just the it's one side you know because again double weighted does isn't as i understand it which i think i do isn't related to a technique it's related to a feeling inside your body right that that you can be um you can have your weight 50 50 and not be double weighted hmm. you can also have your weight 100 zero and be completely double weighted hmm. so it isn't you know it, it from you know one definition again because it can also have to do with top and bottom hmm. it can have to do with how you're responding like pushing against something hmm with your hand is that's being double weighted right resisting force with force is double weightedness mm. because you now create 
it's it's essentially your foot and your hand instead of your two feet but it's it still has you have pressure in two places not in one essentially mm. right so the pressure isn't going into your foot it's going into your hand and your foot thus being double weighted right so it's kind of like you know again it's just like it's a it's about a uh feeling inside of your body that you're stuck essentially and that can happen you wind up getting stuck. that can happen in any position like over twisting for example <clears throat> you twist your upper body in one direction too much and your lower body in the other direction too much that's another form of being double weighted so basically unbalanced could be yeah i mean it's, that's basically and in bagua when some when you are walking the circle and you end up walking a tightrope like that that's one of the prohibitions right you're not supposed to walk like on uh, wobbly balance like that you're supposed to have a little space in between and yeah cut the feet in a certain way absolutely um so it's cool that they called that out so everyone i just imagine everyone in the 1890s is discussing double weightedness and this is the bagua version well and that's also one of the really common mistakes people make in bagua mm, right. is they try to walk really narrow mm. and it's not you know that's just not how it's done gotta have a little space in there yeah all right that's it for today all right hey folks thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode uh, again just a reminder like and subscribe tell a friend check out the instagram for images to go along with the episodes we have a facebook if you're into that stuff also on our youtube page there are some clips from our patreon episodes so you can get a sample of what we do in the patreon episodes all right thanks for listening thanks for your support and take care of yourself